When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right, yeah, our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up. Get your sorry ass up. Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen you before, huh? Man, go tell the coach you need some help. We gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Whoa. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? And welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. Proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me, your host, Matthew Burning at Sports Fanatic MB on Twitter. We are just one of a ton of great podcasts associated with this network, though, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Corey Parsons and Dr. Roto from Sirius XM Radio, Mr. Bob Lung, the award-winning fantasy football consistency guide and the creator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo. Dwayne McFarland, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great others, and you can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. We at the Roundtable are also excited to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the most advanced stats in football, baseball, basketball, and college football. College football stats are extremely hard to find. For just $15 a year, you can look at all of these. I'm telling you guys, it is well worth it. If you like to dive into the analytical side of sports and or for I use it for prospects, college football prospects specifically, it is amazing. It goes down to the minutest of details in this stuff. And again, it's just $15 a year. If you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you will get 10% off of that, which is a steal of a deal, if I do say so myself, and probably the best deal in the industry. So definitely check them out, especially if you want to get a jump on the upcoming draft class. It'll be well worth your time and money. It's Thursday, and we uh, we usually have a, uh, three of us here today. Me, Mr. Matthew Fox, who you can find on Twitter at Nighthawk7734, and Tony Dyer, who you can find on Twitter at CommissionerMR. Tony has some stuff going on uh, with his podcast, Huddle Up. Check that out. It is an awesome podcast, about uh, mostly about the NFL. Does a great job with it. He had uh, some prior commitments come up with that. Uh, so he is handling that. So it's just Matthew Fox with me today. We are going to talk about the NFL honors on Saturday. And, of course, the best day in football, or the best event in football in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl Sunday between the Kansas City Chiefs and the... Uh, my goodness, I blanked for a minute, and I don't know why... San Francisco 49ers. Jeez, that was horrible. What a great way to start the open of this episode up, right, guys? Ah, uh, yeah. San Francisco 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl in Miami. Cannot wait. Should be what I'm hoping and I think is going to be a really good game. So let's get Matt on here so we can talk about the NFL honors and the Super Bowl. And it is Thursday of Super Bowl week. We've got Mr. Matthew Fox with us, as we were just mentioning there in the intro. Matt, how has your week been so far uh, with uh, everything going on? Well, it's been no week at Disneyland, so, you know, (laughs) adjusting back to work. But, 
excited to have a uh, meaningful uh, football game this weekend. I don't really count the Pro Bowl as a meaningful game. I almost forgot that it happened last week, so it's nice to have one more good game left. I'm curious to see who's going to make the Hall of Fame list. Really pulling for Steve Atwater. Yeah, I'm actually really interested to see that as well. We'll get that announced on uh, on Saturday. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro as well, we'll be discussing the NFL honors. Uh, we're going to do that first, actually. I figured we might as well get that out of the way. Talk about the NFL honor stuff and then jump into the Super Bowl as that's kind of the more important thing in a way. So we'll, we'll discuss the Super Bowl here uh, second. So let's go ahead and just jump right in and, and, and talk about the NFL honors. First and 10 at the Lions 29, and Prescott goes screen right. Elliott down the right side to the 25, to the 20, to the 10. Elliott to the pylon. Zeke Elliott, touchdown. 38 on the screen. Second down and 10, takes the snap, gives it, Chubb runs, he's in a 15, he's in a 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, there goes Chubb, he's in the 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Chubb, a hub! 92 yards! from Adam. Case on a deep throb. Steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay oh my God! Oh my God! A lot of interesting awards uh, going on this weekend. The only one I think that is really kind of sewn up is is the MVP, which I would imagine uh, you are in an agreement here that Lamar Jackson is going to be the MVP of the NFL this year. Yeah, I think it would really be impossible to go with somebody else just because what Jackson did as a passer and as a runner we haven't seen before. And the Ravens were such a great regular season team. And these these awards, we have to remember, they vote on – you're supposed to be voting on regular season performance. I think that's actually when they vote. So, um, you know, kind of disregarding what happened in the playoffs. Yeah, I, mean, I don't see – I know there was a lot of talk uh, earlier in the year about, uh, like, Russell Wilson. Uh, I know Rodgers was kind of in the discussion for a while as well. I don't see how anyone can take it. Lamar, regardless of what happened in the playoffs, had had a phenomenal year. So even if they did uh, kind of keep in count what happened in the playoffs, I still don't think anybody left. Maybe Patrick Mahomes, but even he had kind of a – I mean, it's not fair to say a down year. I mean, dude, like – 
dislocated his kneecap and is also kind of very hard to live up to what he did in his first full season in the NFL. Uh, but Lamar Jackson just all around had a better year. So even though Patrick Mahomes has made it to the Super Bowl, I think he'd probably be the only one out of both teams that would have a chance to be in the discussion. I still think it would go to Lamar Jackson. So that one's kind of the, the easy one uh, for us. Uh, I'm interested to see where the rest of these go. We don't, uh, I'm, I'm looking at your list now. We actually don't disagree on many, uh, but I'll let yeah. you you kick it off first on uh, your pick for the offensive uh, player of the year. I went with Christian McCaffrey. He probably would have been, you know, for a long time, he was uh, a close second probably in the MVP uh, balloting, but with Carolina kind of falling off, uh, it became harder to make, uh, uh, you know, and Lamar Jackson was so good. It kind of, he kind of fell out of there, but I think what he did, you know, as both a runner and a receiver, I've seen a lot of people making a case that it's going to be Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. That was kind of interesting to me. He had an incredible season, obviously, as well. Um, I, but for me, I just think McCaffrey was the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Those were the two that I was torn on. Um, to me, I don't think there's really anybody else in the discussion. It is between those two. And the reason I went McCaffrey as well is because <sighs> – I don't know. See, I'm even still waffling. Like, it's been so hard because my argument, I guess, for McCaffrey would be that I believe now he's the third player in NFL history to go 1,000 and 1,000. 1,000 receiving yards, 1,000 rushing yards, which is incredible. But then you go and look at what Michael Thomas did, and now technically he's the only one to have as many receptions in a season as as any other wide receiver, obviously with beating out Marvin Harrison's record. Um, and he was a key reason why the Saints got into the playoffs as well. It was, you know, as much as I love Christian McCaffrey, and we've talked about it all season long, that he should have had the, had the Panthers made it into the playoffs, I think he would have been right there with Lamar on the MVP discussions. But because they fell off, he kind of fell out of that. So I, I'm actually going to go with Michael Thomas. I'm, I'm going to change my pick here. Uh, because the Saints were able to do it and – while you could make the argument for both here and that they both were playing with backup quarterbacks uh, for a, a while, you know, Michael Thomas still put up great numbers with Teddy Bridgewater. And granted, Teddy Bridgewater is better than Kyle Allen. Uh, but Christian McCaffrey didn't always need Kyle Allen's help to do some of the things he did. I mean, technically, he has to get the ball handed off to him. Uh, but a lot of the other stuff he he was doing on his own, he's a phenomenal running back. I'm, so I'm going to give it to Michael Thomas just based on him breaking that NFL record of most receptions in a season, taking that away from Marvin Harrison and helping get the Saints to the playoffs so I imagine it's going to come down to one of those two if I had to pick I think McCaffrey's probably going to win it um, just based on the season he had but I would lean uh, Michael Thomas for me uh, yeah, it was interesting to me I was looking at the the poll of the experts on NFL.com and they actually had Michael Thomas winning by a narrow margin so you may be you may be right. I mean, they're both phenomenal seasons, so I don't think yeah. you could go wrong with either of those guys. Yeah, that's kind of – that's like the worst part about it, right, is that both of them had such good seasons, it kind of sucks that it has to be given to one of them now. Like, even if they split it and it was like an, an AFC uh, offensive player of the year, an NFC – they're both in the NFC, so one of them regardless yeah. would have had to have lost it. So it does suck that they both kind of did this um, – and really, uh, you know, go back to discussions we've kind of had all season again, going back to Christian McCaffrey, it really kind of sucks that this happened for McCaffrey in such a down year for the Panthers as well because we know the shelf lives for running backs is so short that you kind of feel like McCaffrey wasted such a great season all in all on a, on a really bad Panthers team. So now I kind of feel like maybe you give it to him to kind of offset. It's it's a weird thing, man. Like I would be happy if either one won it. Um 
I do think – I'll ask you this before we move on. Who do you think has a better chance to repeat what they did? Maybe not – thousand thousand and obviously breaking the reception record because that's just ridiculous but who do you think has a better chance to be in this dis- in this discussion again next season i think probably michael thomas because okay. you know we've seen obviously the big question was uh you know without a strong complimentary receiver could he still do this and you know is a lot of his success going to be dependent on breeze and i think he answered both those questions and we've just seen, too, running backs that have the amount of touches that McCaffrey had are so much more prone to an injury or a breakdown. Yeah. And it's a position that that ebbs down over time. We also know McCaffrey is going into a new offensive system with a brand new coach and, and everything. Don't know exactly will his usage be similar. You know, if Carolina had a better passing game to its receivers and tight end would he have dominated you know we've seen incredible seasons from running backs once think about david johnson three years ago was oh i know doing the same thing and he's never gotten back since but you see receivers not always you know antonio brown before uh he, his mind broke, had many years where he was, you know, you could dial him in. Julio Jones has had explosive seasons year after year. Marvin Harrison, who used to have that record, had several explosive seasons year after year. I just yeah. think at receiver, the the longevity and the likelihood of sustainability is a little bit higher. Yeah, that would be my thing too. And, and the fact that you brought up DJ scares me even more. Again, just going back to the point I was just trying to make that they almost in a wasted year for Christian McCaffrey. Like, could you just imagine how, yeah. I don't want to say sad, but just like how deflating that's going to be if in a couple seasons, I don't think it'll happen. So please don't, don't take it. Anybody who's listening to this, don't take it this way. I'm not trying to say I think Christian McCaffrey is going to be the next David Johnson, but if something like that were to happen, where just the workload on him and, and some couple injuries in the legs kind of start piling up on him, uh, if he could end up in a situation like DJ and just kind of, and, and really a wasted year really does kind of suck. Um, well, and he's not the only one. I mean, we've seen that oh, yeah. happen to Le'Veon Bell after he led the league in touches. We saw it happen uh, to several guys. And I think David Johnson, his lost, his great year also came during a time when the when the Cardinals weren't really a, a contender, which was, you know, like, oh, well, if they can get better in these areas and you have David Johnson doing this. So, I, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see because that was one of the question slash knocks on christian mccaffrey was could he be that three down all facets continually take that kind of pounding because he's not a huge guy no not at all yeah it's i mean it's crazy to think that because i do remember this is you know, I go back and I like to say it was a good call. This was really before, obviously, I really started getting into this industry. I think at this point when they came out, I was riding with you in FLA, but I was just doing Cleveland Brown stuff. Like I hadn't even moved to any kind of fantasy stuff. Uh, but even in my fantasy drafts and everything, I was, I was always telling people to take Christian McCaffrey because I was more worried about Fournette and the ankle issues. Now that, in a way, obviously played itself out correctly with what McCaffrey's done his whole career. Fournette's really kind of come on this year, but it was that, that was the narrative of him back then. Was ah, oh, he's a smaller back? Can he really take the pounding? And I remember him getting paired with the, like C.J. Anderson, uh, Jonathan Stewart. Like it was, it's crazy to think yeah. how how. 
good he has been and how I don't want to say people doubted him because he was still the one two in most rookie drafts I would think I don't remember anybody yeah. else getting drafted over him outside of Fournette so but it is crazy to see how he's kind of dispelled that now nobody thinks that nobody looks at him as like oh he can't handle the workload because of what he's done since he's gotten into the league all right let's see uh Defensive player of the year. This is one I know that we uh, we differ on, and I meant to read these earlier, so I guess I can. Uh, my, 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 never too late to start. Uh, these are some of the the top getter, the vote getters or points. However, I'm looking on NFL.com's thing here. So you got Stephon Gilmore, T.J. Watt, Nick Bosa, Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald, Chandler Jones, Mika Fitzpatrick, and then a couple other guys tied at seventh. Uh, so who did you go with? And then I'll give you mine. I was tempted to uh, make a Fitzpatrick because he had a big impact, I think, on the Steelers. But I ended up going with Stephon Gilmore because I think uh, this season the Patriots defense was really uh, carried that team. I mean, the first half of the season there was no unit that was – uh, you know, I called them first half of the season fantasy football MVP just because of the what they were doing, smothering other people, especially in the passing game. And I think the marquee player from that unit this year was Stephon Gilmore. To me, defensive player of the year was a little bit harder because there were a lot of people that had good seasons and had good stretches, but I didn't feel like there was a consensus one or two dominating players. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth here because I talked about earlier the playoff stuff doesn't matter. But for me, in a way, it did here. I I ended up going Tredavious White. Um, There was a battle between him and Gilmore uh, a lot of the season on who was the better cornerback and who could end up winning Defensive Player of the Year. I know Gilmore had a couple more interceptions. I think he had one more touchdown. I think uh, it may have been Miami or the week before. Uh, he ended up getting, I think, either two pick sixes or a pick six, and then Tredavious White almost returned one that week, uh, but didn't. So Gilmore does have a couple more touchdowns than him. But what Tredavious White, I think, did in the playoffs for me kind of changed my opinion. I know that uh, the, the – uh, my goodness, why am I not – I'm blanking here. The Titans didn't now, do much uh, against I Gilmore. I do have to ask you, don't, yeah. they, don't they do the official votes right after the regular season? So they don't get to yes, see they do. playoffs, right? No, no, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just going mine. I don't think White's going to win. I was die. wondering. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it, w- it would have been Gilmore for me. Why I changed my vote was because of what he did in that Texans game. Now, yes, yeah. in the second half uh, – Hopkins did start to get the better of him on a couple plays, but the way he completely shut out Hopkins in that first half, to me, kind of spoke volumes. I know Gilmore pretty much did the same thing all year as well, but he gave up a couple more big plays uh, toward the end, and I just... Part of me is more of like, I kind of want to give it to that guy because it's a phenomenal year. And, and Gilmore, I know he had a phenomenal year as well. I don't think there's a wrong answer, really. Uh, I don't, I do think Gilmore's probably going to be the one who wins it. Um, although I could see, I do think Nick Bosa's kind of in the discussion, but I, yeah. I, I think he's going to win an award later. We're going to get to, so I think that's yeah. why they won't give him two. Uh, so, but the, for me, those are the top three that I would vote for. I did like the Minka Fitzpatrick call that you made. Uh, I, probably would have put him up there had they made the playoffs like i feel he was well, so middle good of the season he was the oh, yeah. defensive guy but i feel like down the stretch you didn't hear yeah he didn't do as much yeah from him he didn't do as much and that's that's the tough thing this was to me it felt like a little bit of a year where you know like McCaffrey and Michael Thomas were balling out every week yep. the entire season i mean they were pretty consistent with everything 
defensively, you know, we've had years where people were really dominant throughout the season. I just, it was hard for me. I was looking at, you know, some guys who were potentially in, con- in contention and, and you could make a case for three or four guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why, I feel like, for me, my top two were Gilmore and White because I do feel like even there was, like, a week here and there that they struggled, but even going into, like, week 16 and 17, everybody was talking about their their battle really for this award because of how well they were both playing. Yeah. Uh, neither one of them really kind of slowed down throughout the year where you are right. Minka, especially when he, they first made that trade of him coming over to Pittsburgh, I think he had, like, four picks in three games and a couple touchdowns or three touch weeks yeah. in a row with touchdowns. He was ridiculous how on fire he was. But but then he did. He kind of faded off there. Bose is another guy who was like really hot at the beginning of the year. I think kind of slowed down a little bit in the middle and then really picked it up at the end as well, uh, which is why I mentioned him. Aaron Donald had a phenomenal year. We always kind of – I yeah, feel like he's – I feel like he's he's kind of getting that LeBron James treatment now, where like and and Michael Jordan treatment, where like they've won the Defensive Player of the Year so many years in a row now that it's just kind of like yeah, I mean we need to see more out of you, even though he's still well, had the Rams like a good defense year. struggled as yeah, a they unit did, yes. so much. I think sometimes that takes a little bit of shine off of a, a potential player, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like for Fitzpatrick, I think part of his problem is. Another one of the top contenders is TJ Watt, their yeah. teammates. Well, and you got So sometimes you split the vote where people think, well, it was really more of a team effort. Oh, yeah, that. yeah. No, yeah, it was it was uh it was Watt. I was thinking of uh uh Devin White, but I think he's in the rookie of the year one. So yeah, I mean yeah. Watt did. He had a good year too. So yeah, I, I would yeah. go like I said, it, White for me was more of just like a a kind of like heart pick. Like I'm like I'd love to see that guy because I feel like he doesn't get enough yeah. notice, and some of it is because he's well, Buffalo, Buffalo in general really doesn't get enough notice. I mean, yeah. they quietly had one of the better seasons. You know, uh, Sean McDermott should definitely be in Coach of the Year discussion, but I bet he's not even in the top three of vote getters. Yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. All right, so uh, rookie offensive rookie of the year. Who are you taking? Because for me, we're different. We differ on this one as well. We kind of talked about it. I think I think it yeah. was on the podcast the other day with me, you and Dennis. Maybe it was off air. Yeah. Uh, but I know I'm not actually picking the person that I mentioned in there. Uh, but we, I know we do have two different uh, players here. So who are you picking? Well, this is another one. A lot of times you end up going with a quarterback, and I could definitely see a case being made where Kyler Murray gets it. He did not have a bad season. His team wasn't super successful, and he, you know, I think we forgot about him a little bit because yeah. Arizona wasn't in the discussion. I've seen a lot of people shilling for Josh Jacobs, and, I, you know, I forgot he had a quietly decent season as well. But the one I went with was AJ Brown. Um, you know, he had a thousand yard season and a lot of big plays during that crucial stretch where the Titans were milling, making the run to the playoffs. And it's not a high volume passing offense. Yeah. And I thought his ability and his big play ability was one of the things that alongside Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill was really kept them relevant and took them into the playoffs. So for for me it was um I'll, I'll give the the list of the guys they have on here so uh, you got Josh Jacobs, Kyler Murray, AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin, Miles Sanders, Debo and DK. And all of them really had phenomenal seasons. Uh, the reason I not really pushing the Josh Jacobs uh, narrative and I know a lot of people think I hate Josh Jacobs. I don't hate him. I just I do in a way think he's kind of overrated. Uh he did have a good year for Oakland. I'm sure a lot of the 
lack of production in the in the second half was the fact he was playing with the separate separated shoulder. Not easy to do as a running back, especially when you're getting hit on almost every single play. Uh, but when it comes down when it comes down to it, Miles Sanders ended up having a uh, a better season. So I'm not a, I can't put him above him. My I did like Terry McLaurin. He was the one that we talked about on the podcast Monday that I thought yeah. had a better year than AJ Brown. Uh, and with the two of those guys the way they were, that was kind of why I went with Kyler Murray. You were just kind of mentioning that did have a really good year. Obviously, his team didn't do much. Uh, but I think just kind of the questions around him and Arizona with him coming in there with Cliff Kingsbury and everybody was kind of like, can they really do this? And I thought he had a really, really good year. A lot of people did not expect him to be able to play this well. Um, really, I think – kind of tried to hold himself back a little bit with his legs early in the season. We really saw him kind of take off running-wise in the second half of the season where I think they kind of start, decided to open up the offense a little bit more. Uh, I love what I saw out of Kyler Murray. Interested to see if that continues into next year, uh, but he was the one that I ended up taking as my offensive rookie of the year. Uh, I think A.J. Brown is right there, too. I think those two are probably going to be the top two. For me, I know I think the list has Jacobs up at the top. I wouldn't give, any, I wouldn't give yeah. a vote to Jacobs, but... Uh, I think it comes down to Kyler Murray or A.J. Brown. Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, this one, I, I think, is... I think it should yeah. be close between two players uh, that are not close on this list. So I'm going to give the list, and then you can tell me who yours is. Uh, so Nick Bosa, Devin Bush, Josh Allen, Juan Thornhill, Max Crosby, Devin White, and C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Who did you pick for Defensive Rookie of the Year? Nick Bosa. Uh, you know, I just think in terms of sheer impact and obviously what we saw with what it meant to San Francisco, both he's another one. If you had uh, extended voting into the playoffs, he would be a, a lead pipe cinch. Yeah, um, it, it was Nick Bosa for me, too, though. I do think Max, uh, Max Crosby from Oakland should be at least not that anybody wants to finish second but I think he should be second or right there with Bosa actually had a really good year and I don't think a lot of people are talking about him at all uh Devin Bush obviously the same had it had a phenomenal year but I think I think in a, in a way all three of those him TJ Watt Minka Fitzpatrick all kind of cannibalize each other on the on the are going to cannibalize each other a little bit on the votes yep. for the defensive player of the year might hurt Bush uh with the rookie of the year votes as well. So uh, it's Bosa for me as well. And then I think Max Crosby, who they have on here, is like the fifth best, who I think should be right there at second. If you guys really go look into his stats, a uh, really, really good year, surprisingly. And I did not realize how good of a year uh, he ended up having for the Raiders' defense because we don't really talk about the Raiders' defense being any good. We don't really talk about the Raiders being good, so uh, very true. I mean, they had a couple good weeks, but yeah, outside of that, yeah, they they, they actually had a quietly pretty decent season. Oh, and yeah. considering they're the youngest team uh, in football, you know, we saw they really committed to that rookie movement. A lot of people thought they were going to completely crater when the Antonio Brown crap went down, and a lot of times you see that team that's on hard knocks falling apart. We did not see that. I, yeah. I thought John Gruden definitely did a nice job with them. And, you know, they're a team that'll be interesting to watch for a couple of years, sadly, for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he really earned his paycheck this year. After everything we saw with Antonio Brown in the offseason and all that drama uh, and everything else, and to really actually be in the playoff hunt, I think, going into week 16, or I don't remember if they were really in it. No, 17. it was the last week. Was yeah, it? Okay, it so was yeah, the, even. 
week 17 it, it was they were even still alive through the morning games it was just they lost obviously to uh yeah to Denver, the right? runner up for yeah. offensive rookie of the year uh <laughs> drew lock uh all right so coach of the year here here is the list um I'm going to give two, uh, two on mine who I want to win it and then who I think is going to win it. So coach of the year candidates, John Harbaugh, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McDermott, Sean Payton, Brian Flores, Matt LaFleur, Mike Vrabel, Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, and for good God knows what reason, Adam Gase somehow made his name onto this list. Uh, go ahead and give me yours, and then I will tell you who I picked. If Adam Gase wins, will the city of New York burn? I, I think so. I, I mean that between I, that and what's happening with the Knicks, I think people may just openly. I don't give like, up. like seriously. I don't I, know what case could you possibly make for him even being on a short that, list. Like Brian Torres, I know they out. didn't win, but what he did was incredible with that team. I mean, that's um, my pick was Kyle Shanahan. I mean, obviously, Forty ers went from worst uh, to first. They I believe they had the top two draft pick last year, wasn't yes, both subjects yes, number, number two? Yes. To you know, being the top seed in the NFC, I I would wager John Harbaugh is probably going to win. But oh, you think so? that team has had a long record of success, and I know that what they did this year was pretty impressive. But they were a playoff team last year. It's not like they went out of nowhere and uh, built it up. My top two, if I was voting, would be Shanahan and Vrabel. Interesting. So um, I do think Shanahan wins it. Uh, I, I don't think Harbaugh wins it because of what you just said. They, I mean, they were in the playoffs the last year, and the 49ers were the number two pick. Now you do have to throw in a little bit of a caveat, too, with, with the 49ers and how many injuries they had. I mean, they lost Jimmy G early on in the season as well. Uh, so that's obviously plays in to why they were so bad. But to, take, to be the number two pick the year prior and then go up to being the best team in the NFC, I think speaks a lot to him. Uh, who I would love to see win it is Brian Flores because of what he did in Miami, yeah. taking that team uh, and getting four wins with a team where they sold off all of their best players. And not that Ryan Fitzpatrick is a bad quarterback, but to then bring him in and be like, you know, what? we're actually going to try and win games after the whole front office and owner were talking about tanking the entire season. And then they decided to reverse narrative on that when Brian Flores started winning with players that you probably – it should be harder to win with. I mean, they were in a lot of games. It was it was not like they were getting blown out and then won a couple games. No, they were in almost every single game that they played and ended up getting four wins. So he's not going to win it because they only got four wins, uh, but I think he should be considered more highly, I guess. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I actually hope and do think that Shanahan wins it. I, I want to throw this one on there as well because I didn't put it in the notes. Uh, but executive of the year, I'm gonna I'm gonna read through the list here. You got Eric DaCosta of the Baltimore Ravens, John Lynch of the 49ers, Brandon Bean of Buffalo, John Robinson of the Titans, Mike Mayock of the Raiders. Uh, I'm gonna butcher his last name, but Brian Gutnist of the Packers, uh, John Schneider of the Seahawks, Brett Veach of the Chiefs, and Bill O'Brien of the Texans. Uh, that still just makes me laugh. Which I guess Good we God. can we can tie in the fact that he is he. Uh, uh, if you guys haven't heard the news, Bill O'Brien did appoint himself Bill O'Brien as the GM of the Houston Texans now. So I would imagine he's about well, to his, gonna... the owner did. They said Cal McDaniel yeah, came yeah. out and and officially appointed him. Said he's been doing the job. So, so might as well uh, have the title. 
So probably after the Super Bowl, uh, GM Bill O'Brien will announce a lifetime contract for uh, head coach Bill O'Brien. So I imagine that that pairing is going to go over very well. Uh, if I had to pick executive of the year, I would give kind of a clean sweep here, and it would go to John Lynch as well, uh, just for what they've been able to do there. I, I know uh, – I'm sure you, being a Broncos fan or a fan of John Lynch, I remember when uh, – when he got this GM job, getting called out of the booth there, there was a lot of questions about that, him getting paired with Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, a lot of people love Kyle Shanahan, but they were all kind of like, is John Lynch really going to be a GM? We, we'd see, we've seen Elway kind of struggle with that a little bit. I think he's done a really good job everywhere outside of quarterback, though I think they got their quarterback of the future in lock. Uh, there, but there were a lot of questions about Lynch and what he's been able to do in building this 49ers team, I say, I think is extremely impressive. So if I had to pick, I would say uh, Lynch and Shanahan win executive of the year and coach of the year. Do you uh, do you have a vote for executive of the year? Do you have someone you think should win it? Lynch wins it too. He's the one that I would pick, but a guy that I think is underrated in that group that uh, should get more consideration than he does is uh, Mike Mayock. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, you could really say the same thing about him. Gets called out of uh, uh, NFL Network's draft coverage stuff, and everybody was kind of like, yeah. can he really do this? And I'm going to say not even just what he did with the draft this year, but with the way he handled the Antonio Brown situation, same thing with yeah. Gruden. They, they did a really good job. Like, it's it, – I am obviously uh, – I like I like the Broncos to succeed because I consider you a friend. I want you to be happy, just like I'm sure you hope for the same thing for the Browns because we both hate being miserable when it comes time to, to record on Mondays and our teams are not doing good. Uh, but I, I'm terrified of what the Raiders might become. They, they really do look yeah. like they're building a good team there. And, and the move to Las Vegas, it's – I think things are looking up for Oakland. I do I do like what Mike Mayock did this year uh, with, with John Gruden for sure. Well, it's kind of, to me, always about being able to separate your fandom. I'm not going to root yeah. for the Raiders to win. I'm not sad when they lose versus being able to objectively see what they – I mean, that, that always kills me a little bit on Broncos Twitter when people say Patrick Mahomes isn't that good. Well, you know what? The dude threw for 50-plus touchdowns last year, and he burned our ass four times in a row. So right. until we can get a win, I don't, I don't see the point of, oh, he's he's overrated. No, he's not. You know, I wish I could be as objective as you, but I do still think Lamar Jackson sucks. So I guess I haven't quite <laughs> I haven't quite hit the, the plateau that you have. I cannot be – I'm just kidding. Lamar Jackson is a very good player. Um, comeback player of the year. Uh, there's actually a lot of really interesting names on here. I do think, uh, there's one that the, I do think the player at the top of this list here is likely going to be the one who wins it because of what he did and the way he, what he did with this team. Uh, but I could honestly see like a bunch of players on here winning this. So, uh, the, the list is Ryan Tannehill, Darren Waller, Dalvin Cook, Jimmy Garoppolo, Brandon Brooks, Earl Thomas, Cooper Cup, and Travis Frederick. Who did you pick to win? So it was a tough choice for me between Dalvin Cook, who I thought um, had a monster year uh, and was much more responsible for the Vikings' success than uh, a quarterback who shall not be named. But I ultimately went with Ryan Tannehill. Um, I had forgotten Ryan Tannehill was hurt last year. Yeah. I didn't even think about him as somebody who – and I think that, that speaks to Ryan Tannehill's career resurrection. He's a player – uh, that was so far out of people's consciousness that we didn't even remember what his last few years were. Yeah, it was uh, 
interesting. I, I kind of wanted to go Dalvin Cook. Uh, the only reason I wouldn't is, I'm not necessarily fair to him, the reason he got on this list because he got injured last year, but the fact that he did get injured again at the end of this year and really kind of Maybe not his fault. He may, he may have been able to play, but I think obviously once the Vikings kind of realized they were locked into where they were, they really didn't use him as much toward the back end of the season because yeah. uh, they wanted to save him for the playoffs. And I think we can all admit what Ryan Tannehill did was amazing. I mean, he was a guy yeah. who everybody was talking about. You could say what four or five months ago is he's he's playing to likely be a backup somewhere to all of a sudden now being possibly the franchise quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, which I don't think anybody would have thought about a year ago. Uh, so what he did was was just phenomenal. There's there's I, I I would think Well he essentially got traded from yeah. Miami for like a half bucket of KFC chicken. Yeah, oh so, I, I don't even think it was that. It was like the the lesser brand of, of fried chicken. It wasn't even KFC. So yeah I, the well, Dolphins might have paid the Titans to take him. I think they probably did. That's probably why they only gave – I think they gave him like yeah. a fourth-round pick and there was probably some money going under the table like, here, here, we'll like eat the rest – this part of his salary and everything. But, yeah, it's insane to think. And I'm happy for him, though, too. I, I'm, I've always been a Ryan Tannehill fan. I, I, I hated that he's kind of – really, we, we, we talked about it earlier in the season. He was always good when he was healthy. He would just always get injured and then things would happen. And everybody kind of forgets that he had That's that team. bad uh, luck. Yeah, Some, as we've seen uh, with what Adam Gase has not done for the Jets, maybe uh, more <laughs> mediocre coaching than we realized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, what I was going to say was uh, I think a lot of people forget that he uh, he actually had them in the in the playoff hunt. Uh and actually, they ended up making the playoffs. I think he got hurt in week 14 or 15. I can't remember what it was. I think it was, say, it was two yeah. or three years ago. Uh, and they ended up losing in the first round of the playoffs. But So he, he's had a couple good years. Uh, I'm happy to see him kind of get this recognition. Uh, so last, uh, last awards thing that we are going to talk about today before we move on to talking about the big game in the Super Bowl is uh, the play of the year. What is your NFL play of the year? Now, I'm just going to admit I, I went with a homer pick here because uh, pretty much, you know, I watched every down of Broncos football and I watched pieces of other games and highlights of big matchups. So coming up with a, a play of the year was a little bit tough. Uh, what I went with was Cortland Sutton's 26-yard TD to open the scoring in Week 13 against the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Drew Locke's first start. A lot of questions about what he was going to be like. And uh, when you have a receiver that can just make some superhuman plays, it makes you look really good. Everybody was pumped up that Drew Locke threw a touchdown. But if you watch, that was all Cortland Sutton. Oh, yeah. It was not a well-placed or well-thrown ball. And he made a superhuman catch. And I felt like watching him this season, he made a ton of huge plays uh if you had the misfortune of watching joe flacco's passing offense or some of brandon allen's passing offense <laughs> Cortland sutton had uh an incredible uh season in my opinion considering uh you know quarterbacks and you know lack of you know they did not really have a wide receiver too after they dealt emmanuel sanders in yeah. early october uh, nobody really stepped up and did anything, and he just kept going out there and making phenomenal plays, and that was probably one of his signature best. Yeah, I love uh, I love what Cortland Sutton did. I mean, you know, because I, I feel like I've referenced this all the time uh, throughout the year, especially when Cortland Sutton came on. I think I think he's right up there 
if not in the discussion for one of the top wide wide receiver ones in in not just fantasy but in the NFL, he's right on the discussion of it. Uh, you know, me and Dennis both had him as our kind of breakout wide receiver this year. But we, as I always want to throw in the caveat, we said that that would happen uh, because we did not think Emmanuel Sanders would play, and then Emmanuel Sanders came out and actually balled out that first week, and everybody yep. thought he was back and going to be the guy. And then Cortland Sutton came on and was just dominant the entire season. So so I'm with you. I, I love what I saw out of Sutton. Uh, I would imagine you cannot be more thrilled as a Broncos fan to have that guy as your wide receiver one because, I mean, I saw him torching yeah. Denzel Ward out there with Brandon Allen as you were just talking about when they played the Browns. And I was like, I, I don't I, – how is this happening? Yeah, he so. made he made big plays, uh, you know, and, and really was the star no matter who his quarterback was, which – you know, was something that was very encouraging and exciting for Broncos fans. Noah Fant had a decent season, but yeah. he didn't really pick up until we got better quarterback play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of positives uh, for Denver going forward. But Cortland Sutton, I mean, that play when he made that touchdown grab, everybody's like, oh, Drew Locke throws his first touchdown. <laughs> I was like, he should be going over there and, like, kissing the ring. Oh, yeah. All right, so for me, I had three. Um, uh, I, I'm torn between these three. It's, it's been hard for me to separate them. Uh, so the one I know is not going to be in there because it happened in the playoffs. And as we talked about, all these, I think, are pretty much regular season stuff. Uh, but the the play by Deshaun Watson to pretty in overtime for them to end up getting into oh, a field goal incredible. range, I thought was just amazing. Yeah. Like that, that was like the first play that stood out in my mind when I was writing down this category. But I don't think those plays are included in this. Um, so there were two for me, and I'm, I'm big on what you were just kind of talking about with with Cortland Sutton. Kind of, I'm I'm big on wide receivers making just like phenomenal plays because uh, I love the wide receiver position. Uh, so I went with two. Uh, catches and and really kind of throws as well that just were just incredible throws. So week eight, Aaron Rodgers where he throws that ball while he's getting tackled that looks like he's throwing it out of bounds that Jamal Williams just happened to catch in the back of the end zone uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs, which was actually a huge game for the Packers at the time and for them to come away with that win. Uh, that one was right there, and I have it tied with me. Uh, for me, with the with the Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett play, which I feel like probably a lot of yeah. people forgot about, although I think it was week three or four, maybe I can't I can't even remember what week it was. It was early in the season, uh, but uh, it may have even been was that a was that a primetime game? I want to say it was a primetime game as well. I can't remember. It might have been Lockett uh, was somebody that you know when he was when he was on, he was really on. Yeah, I think I think that injury at the end of the year is really kind of what hurt him, uh, you know, kind of in, in really with a couple of the players we've been talking about today with the injuries. But yeah, that that catch was just, I mean, same. I would say almost the same thing about the Aaron Rodgers play. Russell Wilson looked like he was throwing it out of bounds, and then Tyler Lockett catches it out of bounds. Like, I think it was direct. a Monday night football game. It may have been. I, I, I know they were playing the Rams. That, I think I feel like it was. I, I remember they were playing the Rams, but I don't remember when it was. I was trying to pull it up. My my phone is not. Maybe it was a thurs. It was a Thursday night game. Was it Thursday? I was trying to pull up the schedule. Uh, yeah, my phone I was thinking is being about that. When they played the Rams, I'm pretty sure that it was a Thursday night game. Let's see. Here. It was one of the first Fox telecasts. Yep, you're right. Thursday because night. Because that was that was before we thought. You know, at that point in time, I was like, <laughs> "Well, Seattle started decent, but the Rams are probably still a better team." And after yeah. they won that game and seeing how they played, I was like, "Well, maybe I was wrong about that." Uh, so it was Week Five, not Week Three or Four. I couldn't. Remember. It was definitely early season. I said Week Five. It was Thursday night, Rams Seahawks. So yeah, and, and like I said, just phenomenal catch. I mean, that's going to be like 
I don't know if they do a catch of the year, but I imagine that's going to be in discussions for catch of the year as well. It was just it was a phenomenal play. Um, so I think that that's should be right up there. Uh, I didn't see a category. Um, I saw the category for it, but I didn't see any nominations or anything on the page that I had yeah. up. So I don't know what will or will not be on there, but I think all those are, are definitely uh, worthy. Well, if you want to relive some of the great moments I watched for a little bit today when I was trying to think about, you know, not being a Homer pick uh, before <laughs> I gave in to my lesser instincts, NFL network has a 22 and a half minute sizzle reel of uh, the best plays of 2019. Oh, nice. Yeah. I will definitely have to watch that here in a little bit. All right. So we, we, we spent about 40 minutes here talking about NFL honors. So let's jump in and talk about, uh, the the most important thing that is going to happen this weekend, and that is going to be the Super Bowl. We eating all day, bro. I'm hitting you every time. Every time you come as well, I'm gonna hit you. Y'all not gonna be able to do that. You don't want no problems, bro. You are my boy. I'm a man. It's about to get ugly. I want to score. Yeah. You don't want to talk so much. It's time to do now. Not just a good old fashioned rear end whipping. Get a We have what looks like is going to be a phenomenal Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, it's a – I've seen a lot of – it seems a lot more high-scoring predictions than low-scoring, and I do think it's going to be a high-scoring uh, affair here. Uh, Redemption Bowl for Andy Reid and, and Kyle Shanahan as well as both of them have been there um, and kind of – I don't want to say been the main reasons their teams lost, but obviously both their teams lost uh, – Andy Reid back with the Eagles Patriots a, a long time ago, and then obviously Kyle Shanahan just a couple years ago, another victim of the Patriots as well, up 28 to, I think it was 12 at that point. Everybody always says it was a 28, 28 to 3. 28 Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't 28 to 3 at the time that they started. Like the, the big play that everybody criticizes him for when it was that third and one play, and they decided to have Matt Ryan do the seven foot, seven step drop uh, that caused him to get sacked, where they should have just run the ball and run the timeout or run timeout. Uh, but they ended up trying to do a passing play. I know it wasn't twenty-eight to three at the point that that happened, but yes, it's the the very famous twenty-eight to three game, unfortunately, uh, for Falcons fans. So we're gonna start it off with. Uh, we're supposed to hoping to have Tony on here, but uh, he had some stuff come up with uh, his podcast Huddle Up. By the way, definitely check it out, guys. It is well worth it. Uh, he does a good job on that. Uh, so we wanted to rank. Uh, we've got ten different groups here. Uh, we're gonna rank them one through ten. Uh, so we, I'm going to give you the list real quick, and then I'm going to have you rank yours, and we'll just kind of go 1-1 one, one and, and kind of go down them. So you got the coaching staff for both teams, the running back group for both teams, the receiving weapons for both teams, so wide receivers and tight ends, then the defenses, and then the quarterbacks. So who was your number one, or who who did you think, uh, one being the best, ten being the worst, who did you rank as your number one uh, out of these ten groups? So I went with San Francisco coaching staff, and um... – this isn't just about Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, we talked about him being coach of the year, but I think with Robert Solid, uh, yes. uh, defensively, both of those guys. The San Francisco is an incredibly talented and deep team. Mm-hmm. I would say that the actual star on offense and defense are those two coaches. Um, you know, Nick like Bosa is probably the most recognizable player on the the defensive side, and you have people like Kittle. Um, you know, and and veterans like Sanders who are bigger names, but you know, both 
what I've been impressed with with San Francisco is they've been able to win in a lot of different ways, both offensively and defensively. And I think that's a real credit to coaching. Their special teams has been great too. Um, and I just think that actually is the heart of the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. Um, so they're high for me, but not at one. Uh, for me, I went uh, the receiving options for Kansas City. I just think they're so explosive. Uh, and for me, I, I think they, if Kansas City is going to end up winning this game, I think they're going to be a big reason why. I think they're kind of the, you could argue the best group on the field. I think the next, you, the argument would be between them and probably the defensive front for San Francisco. I think it's kind of like the best two groups on the field, if that makes sense. So I ended up going with the receiving options because you add in Kelsey in there as well. Uh, just, I think they're really good. I'll give you my two. Uh, that was Patrick Mahomes. I think he's obviously going to be another big yep. reason. Um, he's your two as well. So I think he, obviously yep. the better quarterback, probably, again, same thing, one of the best offensive players on the field. He's going to be huge going up against that defense. Uh, since he is your two, do you have anything you want to add to that? Or do you want to, uh, who is your three if you don't? No, it, I mean, I just think, um, to me, Patrick Mahomes is the difference in Andy Reid's career. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it. He's been a successful coach who's often come up short on some of the biggest stages. I think Patrick Mahomes is just at a different level than quarterbacks he's had in the past. Um, and to me, he's the best single player. Yeah. On the field. I agree. Uh, my my number three was the San Francisco defense. Um, they just have a lot of ferocious pieces. They have a lot of depth. And the way that they can disrupt and take apart, I mean, we saw them do that in both their playoff games, yep. uh, just completely smothering Dalvin Cook one week and then the next week completely taking apart Aaron Rodgers' ability to get anything. You know, Rodgers' numbers – and Devontae Adams' numbers look a lot better thanks to some of the way they were able to move the ball in the second half. But I watched that game. That game was over at halftime. Uh, so I just realized like how close our rankings really are. I wasn't really looking at yours until we just uh, – we have the same top four just in a different order. Uh, my defense uh, – San Francisco's defense is three for me as well. Um, for San Francisco's side, I think they're going to be the key. Uh, one of the interesting stats I heard though, which – I don't want to fall into the trap, but I kind of was today when I heard it was when, uh, when he is blitzed, uh, actually by either the front seven, because he has different stats here if you bring in cornerbacks. So I'll give you that. Patrick Mahomes actually has a 99 quarterback rating. Like he, it's the best, the next best. Do you, do you want to take a guess how low when being blitzed, um, when facing an all out blitz, what the next best quarterback rating is? 88. 17. Oh. Yeah. It's ridiculous, right? Like, when you hear that, you're just like 99 to 17, like, holy crap. Uh, so, in a way, and we'll, I'll save this more for obviously when we start breaking down the game, but that does worry me a little bit about San Francisco's side because of how much they rely on those guys. However, he was, I uh, believe it was 50% when a cornerback comes on the blitz for some reason. So, And we do know they can do that as well because San Francisco has a phenomenal secondary. So all around, they are my three. Uh, and then coming in at four for me is actually the San Francisco coaching who you had at one. And I'm, I mean, I just pretty much agree with everything you say. It's not just Kyle Shanahan. What Salah does on the defensive side is 
beautiful. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The more and more I've watched the 49ers games, the more and more I'm like, God, I really wish the Browns would have taken him as their head coach. Uh, but I, I, I still believe in you, Stefanski. If you're listening, you, you know, do you do you, brother? I'm still rooting for you. But God, I would have loved Salah. All right, so who do you have at five? Um, so at four, I had Kansas City's receivers. Yeah, sorry, that was um, my one. Talk- yeah, we talked about a little bit. We have the same uh, top four in a different order. Um, I'm not as enamored of their – you know, I like Travis Kelsey, and I think Tyreek Hill has some incredible big play uh, and weaponry ability. I'm not as taken with um, the depth behind them. I think mm-hmm. Sammy Watkins can be great or non-existent. And Mecole Hardman, I like his potential talent, but he was real uneven. Demarcus Robinson – same thing. I, I, they're not a bad group. I, I don't want to yeah. sound overly critical, but that was um, my number five. I actually went with San Francisco's receivers. I think their passing offense hasn't been a huge factor in the playoffs, and people forget. I mean, I was blessed to watch Emmanuel Sanders for years. He mm-hmm. is an incredible receiver. He was incredible to start this season with Joe Flacco as well. George Kittle, um, I actually think he might be the best tight end in football. Um, and I really like Debo Samuel. He has great um, range and ability. You know, we've seen him break big running plays and passing plays. They don't use their passing offense as much, but then you have, like, role players. Um, you know, we've seen Kendrick Bourne explode for yeah. some big games. I think San Francisco's receiving court is a little underrated and a little overlooked because simply because of uh, running and because of the way they've dominated in other facets of the game. Uh, so a little bit of foreshadowing here. We uh, we have our flip – our five and sixes are flip-flops. So uh, my five is the running backs for San Francisco. Uh, we, we did get a note earlier today that Tevin Coleman is still limited, so I don't know how much he plays. But Raheem Mostert has been ridiculous. I think a lot of people kind of forget about how good Matt Breida has been at times. I think they uh, – are just going to be really good. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it before. Kansas City's defense really is not that good up front and the linebacker core. Their secondary is good. They tend to do really good against uh, um, the receiving groups. And I do think, you know, Tyron Matthew is probably going to line up against George Kittle, which should be a really interesting matchup because Matthew has been really good this year as well. I think the weakness there is the running game, so I think they're going to have to rely on that. So that's my five. And then my six I went is the San Francisco wide receiver group. Obviously, and George Kittle in there as well. And you are right. I mean, it's not even just – and I'm going to kind of take it a step back as well. Not even just the receiving. I was watching the uh, opening night stuff and watching Emmanuel Sanders' interview, like how much he loved blocking as well, which is such a huge part of Kyle Shanahan's offense. And you have to and have wide receivers. that's a big thing for Kittle too. Yeah, Kittle oh yeah. He, he appreciates a good block more than he does a catch. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It still goes back to uh, – I don't remember if you if you remember this, that – uh. That video I tagged you and Tony in a long time ago, probably back like six, seven weeks ago now, where George Kittle uh, flattened some dude in the end zone. And when uh, he rolled over the dude in the camera, because they had scored a touchdown, and the end zone camera was coming over uh, to see the players celebrating, and they, it comes over George Kittle, and he's just like full belly laughing because he pancakes some dude. So, yeah, it's 
their blocking alone, I think, is what makes them so crucial to this game because they're also willing to do it as well. Like, you have people who are going to come out and say, oh, yeah, you know, I love run blocking and everything. But you go back and watch it, and you can see some wide receivers kind of give the half-hearted block here and there, and they don't do that. They go full in. Uh, so, and, and I'm with you on the Sanders getting underrated. Bourne, I mean, Debo has been all over the place as well. And then you add in Kittle, who I think is – I think should be the tight end one moving forward with everything he does as well. Uh, just a phenomenal group, and they're there when Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan needs them, which I don't think should be understated. Like, yes, they don't get used that much, but when they do, they come up big and they keep the offense on the field, which is a key category for them. Uh, so since I know your six is the running backs, give me a little bit on them if you want for San Francisco, and then give us your seven. Yeah, I think obviously San Francisco has uh, just a solid group of backs, so I, I put them six. You know, uh, the receivers, running backs, like I, I bumped receivers up a little bit more because I think they have some more top end stars. But um, you know, the running backs have been really solid. My seven, I went with Kansas City coaching staff, and you know, this is where you start to get hard. Um, because it seems like you're really knocking these things. And, yeah. and let's face it, both these teams are in the Super Bowl for a reason. Um, but I, I don't, you know, Kansas City, I, I like Andy Reid, but Andy Reid has a real checkered history in important playoff games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, going back to Philadelphia in, in that time, you know, I like Eric Bieniemy, um, but he doesn't have a ton of experience. Coaching wise, you know they they obviously have a decent coaching staff, or they wouldn't be in the Super Bowl. But um, for me, that's just kind of where it shook out. No, uh, that's the same for me at, at sitting here. So um, at seven, I have the Casey coaching staff as well. I, I'm my only reason I dropped them. So I, I do have the same questions about Reed. You know, we talked about it uh, before, not just with Philadelphia, uh, but even with Kansas City back with Alex Smith and. Uh, even when he had Philadelphia getting into the playoffs, he always had kind of this moniker with him that he he never managed the time clock well. I remember going back to that Super Bowl actually with Philadelphia. They didn't really seem to be moving the offense quickly when they needed to get a couple scores there. Uh, same thing in Kansas City. They've always he's always seemed to kind of mismanage the clock. Now he's done a better job of that recently. That really seems like they've just kind of lost in bad ways. You know, for instance, last year with the D four thing and the Patriots, they should have won that game. Uh, so I do think he's kind of turned that around. I think a lot of that is enemy coming in and, and really kind of running the offense and allowing Reed to see the bigger picture. Because back in the day, uh, many people might not remember, he was the one calling all the plays and everything, where now he's kind of relinquished that to enemy for a while. Um, my fear is just the defense. I, I don't think um, – I can't even remember who their defensive coordinator is now off the top of my head. I couldn't it, either, and that's probably I, I want to say, is it, is it Spagnola? Is it Steve Spagnola? I want to say that's who it is, but I don't remember. I but. He just, uh, he does not, clearly if we can't even remember his name, he does not inspire much confidence in my opinion. So he was one of the big reasons why I dropped him. Will he be able to make any kind of uh, adjustments in the second half or anything with whatever San Francisco decides to do? And can he match wits with Kyle Shanahan, which I think is going to be huge. Uh, So who is your number eight? Um, It is Steve Spagnuolo. Okay. I just looked at, so. I was typing Um, that in right there. So yeah, this is actually his first year um, okay. with them. If we, gotcha. if you remember, the Chiefs really kind of scapegoated. Um, I can't remember who their yeah, D coordinator yes, was last year, now. but after they got after they lost that AFC Championship game, uh, Bob Sutton 
yeah. they they bumped him out and Spagnolo came in. Uh, my number eight was Casey's defense. I don't think their defense is great, but I think it might be a little bit better than some people have thought. Uh, they were not super solid at the beginning of the season, but to their credit, I will say it seemed like down the stretch they figured some more things out. Um, you know, because they were a team that that won their last six games. Yeah. Uh, so same for me, the Kansas City defense here, uh, and, and it goes back to what I was just talking about. My biggest fear with them is I do think their weakness is against the run, and that is kind of obviously San Francisco's strength. And so I do think that's where things are going to be really interesting. I think in but a way— they were able to hold Derrick Henry in check. Which is true, uh, which yeah, I'm, so. I'm, I'm interested because the difference, though, with I think for Derrick Henry and what—I I don't know how to describe it— Tennessee is clearly more of a power running team. And and I do think yeah. the difference with Tennessee is, yeah, you have A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill, as we were talking about earlier with the comeback player of the year stuff, is he had a really good year. But I would trust Jimmy G a little bit more, and I would trust his receiving options more, that if they start to slow down yeah. that running game, I mean, we a lot of people want to question Jimmy G, myself included. I've done it a lot throughout the year. But then you go back to the yeah. New Orleans Saints game where they were stopping the run. And That's what I was going to say. We, we've seen yeah. the 49ers this year win uh, in passing shootouts when they have to. Yeah, and so that's where, that's where my – Fear lies is because that Kansas City defense, their secondary is good. I think a lot of people don't really realize how good their secondary is, but their front seven is just, it's not that good. And so if they are getting run on and if they try and switch it up, does then San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan start burning them through the air? And, and what happens there? So they're, they're there for me and uh, we have our last two switch. So I'm just going to give, uh, I'm just going to give my two really quick, and then you can kind of tell me your thoughts on them. I went KC running backs 9 and then Jimmy G 10, uh, which is probably not fair to Jimmy G because I was just talking about how good he can be and then criticized him last. Uh, Part of it is recency biased. I am just a little bit worried um, how much they really haven't used him in the playoffs, and maybe it's like a mind trick thing if that makes sense like Kyle Shanahan just kind of using that in his back pocket because he hasn't had to because at this point uh, something Tony I know would throw in my face right now because he did it a couple weeks ago too when we were talking about Jimmy G because he has been on the you have to trust Jimmy G with what he's done and I've always kind of questioned him you can't question him anymore so I just kind of put him here to last because I feel like he's probably got the biggest question mark I, I do think him coming in he really hasn't been in these situations. This is his first real year as a starter in the playoffs. I mean, I, I know he's got two games under his belt now, but this is a little bit different. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has kind of gone through the bad parts of the playoffs and gotten to where he has. So I feel like he's got just a little bit more experience uh, than Jimmy G does. So I, that's why I put him last. Running backs, I put nine just because if Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy can turn it on for one game, they can be just as dynamic. But I do think there's a, just a bigger question mark around them. Uh, so who are your 9 and 10 and why? So I had it reversed. You yeah. know, I had Jimmy G at 9 uh, and then San Francisco or Kansas City running backs at 10. And I think it's interesting you're talking about if Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy – that would be part of my hesitation. LaShawn McCoy was a healthy scratch for the AFC Championship game. Yeah. What is going on? You know, what is their running back situation? They've almost just said, screw it. We don't need a running back. I know Damian Williams has had a few touchdowns in the postseason, but if you look at his yards and production, it's not overall that impressive. And he's another guy that, you know, I hate to be cold, but has been a touch fragile 
uh, we've seen the last couple, you know, just about the time you get excited by Damian Williams. uh, And I'm somebody that, that thought he was going to make the most of this opportunity and went in on him in a few leagues this off season, just about the time you get excited about him, he screws you. You know, it's, I just, you know, I don't have a lot of faith there. Their entire running back group, you know, you saw him bring back Spencer Ware. We have never really seen Darwin Thompson uh, develop anything more than a couple occasional flashes despite some opportunity. Jimmy G, we've seen him take command and do what he needs to do. I have not seen the Kansas City running back group come through and say, we will win the game for you. Yeah, uh, I don't disagree. That's probably why I should have put them 10. Um, I just kind of, it's my inherent uh, bias against Jimmy G that I think is why I threw him in there at 10. I don't, uh, because then I kind of talked myself out of it as we were going through it. So let's actually dive into the game. What's been interesting for me with KC here the past couple weeks, in these first two rounds, they have fallen behind double digits. Um, I don't think that they can do that against San Francisco and still win the game. Obviously came back and just destroyed uh, the Texans in the first game. And then in the second game, I I don't want to say destroyed Tennessee, uh, but it was definitely uh, the game got a little bit more out of hand there in the second uh, second half. So what about you? What are your thoughts on if KC were to go down, say, 10, 14, nothing early in the first quarter? Because in the second quarter, Mahomes has been near perfect. I believe he's only has like one incompletion. So he's been just amazing the second quarter, but really kind of struggled coming on in the first quarter. If the 49ers able to jump on them early, get that double-digit lead. How do you see it playing out? Well, you know, I think that that would be the concern for me, uh, for KC. If they come out and start slow and let San Francisco build a lead, you know, I think we've seen them do that against fairly prolific pass offenses in these playoffs. They're This is going to be by far the best defense they've faced in the playoffs. The Titans don't have a terrible defense. The Texans' defense is a rumor. Uh, and the other thing is this will be the most dynamic offense they've faced in the playoffs. The, the Titans, you know, they, they did a decent job and Ryan Tannehill did a decent job, but they did not have a very power pass offense. And if you could gut up and really take Henry away, there was a good chance that you could hold them in check. The opposite kind of being true for, uh, the Texans, they don't, really have much of a running game to speak of so if you can take away especially i i'm not sure fuller even made it through that entire full game you know if you could take hopkins away or you could box box in Deion, you know deshaun watson you could kind of keep them in check that doesn't feel like san francisco they both get very excited they're a great play from ahead defense mm-hmm. they pin their ears back they get creative they start getting aggressive as all the best defenses do. And we've seen them on offense. They can win in a lot of different ways. You can't just say, I'm not going to let them run the ball. You can try that, but I, you know, this isn't a, a team that has Corey Davis hoping that he's going to make a catch. They have Debo Samuel, Sam, Samuels, Emmanuel Sanders, George Kittle, the guys we just talked about. They have real good professional players you know the depth of san francisco is what makes them so tough and you're going to have some motivation you know d ford obviously a guy that the chiefs semi scapegoated and decided wasn't worth their time and shipped off to san francisco i guarantee he's excited to uh, 
hit the field and make some stuff happen. So it's not even just one pass rusher uh, that you can take away, which is, you know, what's happened. Sometimes I've seen the Chiefs be able to make an adjustment, uh, especially with uh, Bradley Chubb after he got injured and be able to kind of use two or three players and take Von Miller out and limit Denver's ability to, to cave in and pass rush. You know, with San Francisco, they have a lot of different players that are coming at you from different positions, and that makes it much tougher to defend. And that's, you know, we saw that happen to Green Bay. Green Bay has a decent uh, offensive-minded head coach, uh, and when they got down in a little bit of a hole, it just became a bigger and bigger hole because then you're pressing, trying to get things done. The emotion of playing in a Super Bowl the one thing I will say, Jimmy G hasn't been a player, but he's been in so many Super Bowls. Well, yeah. <laughs> With yeah. Wager, he, the stage is not going to impact him as much as Patrick Mahomes. There's something about even the greatest players being in that first game um, that it's different than what you're expecting. So I don't think they can either. I, I don't. I do think they would still be able to get back in the game and, and be able to keep it close just because of how explosive that offense is. But I'm with you. With That would play perfectly into what San Francisco, I think, wants to do. If they're able to get up 10-14 and then just start running the clock and allowing that defense to get after you, you got those cornerbacks that can play more aggressive. And we've seen Richard Sherman, uh, regardless of what you want to say about him and his age and if he's getting worse, a dude is just – he steps up in the playoffs and he makes big plays. He'll be trying, he'll be out there ball hawking. You got Bosa and Armstead and Buckner coming after you. And I know Mahomes is, you know, mobile and can get out of the pocket, but still, those four guys coming after you is not going to be easy as well. So I'm with you. I do think it's going to be uh, hard for them to do or to come back and end up winning if that happens. And I'm, I'm, I'm shook here. Uh, I don't know if you're paying any attention to Twitter right now, but things are going off the rails by a picture that was just tweeted out. Um, uh, we can oh. we can save that for the end of the podcast. Just look up Tom Brady really quick and, and see what you see. It's a, a lot of people are freaking out. I feel like Brady's actually probably trolling all of us right now. Uh, but we'll touch on that here uh, as we finish. I, I want to finish the Super Bowl because that is more important at the moment. Uh, who do you or for San Francisco and KC? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, biggest reason they win the game for San Francisco, uh, I think it's going to end up being their defense. Uh, they're going to have to step up big uh, and and find a way to limit this offensive explosion uh, or the, the ability to explode on offense that the Chiefs had, especially with all their weapons. Uh, I don't think you can stop Patrick Mahomes, but can you contain him? Uh, so I do think Salah uh, and that defense are going to have to come out, make adjustments if the Chiefs come out on fire, what adjustments they make, because they that's something I think is been really underrated in when these offenses start doing something against this defense the way that they adjust to it has been really good I think again speaks to just how good Salah is as a defensive coordinator so I think he's going to be the big reason why the Chiefs or the Chiefs San Francisco if they win uh, and then KC we have the same ones it's Mahomes is can can 15 do 15 things and uh and and end up pulling out some great play to to cause KC to win the game uh so for you what is the what will happen and why San Francisco wins and why KC wins yeah see for me I, I think both these teams are very talented and they're very close um and it's going to be a, a tough game but I think the battle is between the things that I put as one and two. Can San Francisco make 
coaching adjustments and use their depth and their players to overcome whatever challenges come. Uh, and on the flip side, can Patrick Mahomes rise above as he's seemingly done throughout this season uh, and throughout the playoffs? You know, in both those games, being behind, you know, he rallied and picked him up. You saw his superhuman performance uh, seemingly against the uh, Texans uh, and then against the Titans, that run that he took in by himself. You know, th- those were the plays that kind of shift the tide that say, hey, I will not lose. And I think you're going to see that's really the chess match here. Yeah. You know, the the offensive and defensive adjustments that Shanahan and Salah can make versus Patrick Mahomes' force of will. Yeah, so I feel um, the most confident part was what I wanted to talk about next. I, we're both on Patrick Mahomes. We, we've kind of talked about that a lot and, and the way that they uh, – uh, attack on offense, so I feel like we can kind of skip that. I don't feel like there's much more talk about that. But San Francisco side, uh, you put on here clock management and coaching. Kind of explain why you are so confident in that for San Francisco side and allowing and then causing them to win the game. That was actually Tony's note. Oh, mine. Oh, shoot, mine my was bad. coaching the kind of coaching and defense. You know, um, just kind of what we talked about offensively i feel like san francisco is going to make the adjustments they need to use either the run or the pass to move the ball and score and defensively it just seems like when san francisco has been on and been really good their defense figures out what they need to do to totally take you off the game yeah and i mean so i the last couple points on there i feel like we've really kind of touched on so i'm just going to kind of go off the cuff here it was a uh, who we had the most confidence in, um, and then the weaknesses and strengths of the teams. We kind of talked about that in our rankings, and and so I think everybody's kind of gotten the gist of, of where we stand on that stuff. So going into this game, I, I I do, as you mentioned, I do think these are very evenly matched teams. I do think I would imagine you think too it is gonna, going to be a good Super Bowl. I don't, you don't think either side gets blown out here, do you? No, okay. no, I would be uh, shocked, and let's all just pray that it's a better game than it was last year. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't hate last year's game. Definitely more of a defensive struggle last year. Uh, obviously, you want to see some points being scored. It that definitely did kind of suck about last year's. I would imagine it's going to be more. What worries me, and I'm, this might bring you a little bit of joy here, uh, number one offense against the number one defense. We've seen this happen many a times, and the defense always wins. Most recently, Denver Broncos, Carolina Panthers. A lot of people may not remember how good that Panthers offense was. Cam Newton as MVP. I mean, they came in there high flying. Steve Smith, Greg Olson. Um, I mean, they were a great offense and Denver's defense was no joke either. Uh, De- Demarcus Ware, Vaughn Miller. Uh, you had Wolf still there. Uh, I'm trying to remember who your, uh, Chris Harris, Akib Tlaib. Akib Tlaib, that's who I was trying to remember. Harris was there. I was trying to remember Akib Tlaib. Obviously, that was uh, Peyton Manning's kind of last leg there. He was obviously not playing as great as he had been the year prior where he set the touchdown records and everything. Really, I think those neck and injuries, everything had kind of finally piled up. And that defense came out there and, I mean, smoked the Panthers. Smoked them. Do you have any fear at all that it might end up being that way? Now, if I remember correctly, Carolina kind of came back into that a little bit. Yes, I I don't remember them getting completely blown out, but it wasn't really as close as the final score indicated, if I remember correctly. 
Yeah, it was just so low scoring that Denver really never had more than a than much more than a one possession advantage. Right. Um, you know, C.J. Anderson had a had a really nice game oh, and yeah, was able to CJ. score, and defense did well. But people forget how unreliably bad Pete Manning was at times that mm-hmm. season. You know, he was. He had lost more than a step, and he had actually missed quite a bit of time during that uh, season too with injury. But so you brought—it's interesting—you brought up that game because when I was uh, writing my um, my official pick, which I posted today, mm-hmm. I picked San Francisco. But what I said concerned me the most. Thinking about it, you point out the the top offense versus top defense. What I was thinking about was. That Carolina and Denver Super Bowl, I remember going into that game during the championship round, Denver had had to battle the Patriots uh, and had had a somewhat competitive game uh, to make it in. It was very close and very tight. Carolina went out and just destroyed, I believe it was the Cardinals. Yeah. Just, just rolled them. And so the presumption was, you know, they have been crushing teams in the playoffs. Well, if you were looking at this game, you know, the Chiefs have had to come from behind both games. They obviously have a much more impressive offense than Denver did in 2015. But it was San Francisco that just kind of came out and didn't have much of a challenge in the NFC Championship game. Right. I realize right. that that game looks a little better because of some touchdowns in the second half. But it was 27 to nothing at halftime. That game was over. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the 49ers did certainly look like they took the pedal off the gas yeah. in the second half. And so that, in the back of my mind, was a little bit of a... I remember that probably more for Carolina uh, in that Super Bowl than even the, the offense versus defense. But we have seen that. You know, that that happened to Denver in 2013. That was the year Manning put all those records and had by far and away the best passing offense. You know, we were just crushing people. And Seattle came in with little Russell Wilson and kind of an upstart uh, Legion of Boom, and all of a sudden, Manny Ramirez snaps the ball out of the back of the end zone on the yep. first play, and I was like, oh my god. I remember my dad had just moved to Colorado, and we were so excited to watch the Super Bowl together. My wife's making food upstairs, and by the time she brings it down halfway through the first quarter, I was like, well, the game's over. She's like, what do you mean? Are we winning? I'm like, no. So, you know, yeah. hopefully we don't see anything like that. I just I feel like Patrick Mahomes would not go out that way. And maybe that's me admiring him a little too much uh, as a second-year starter, but I just feel like even if they don't win, he he's not going to go out that way. Yeah, I don't think it will. I really do think it's going to be a close game, but I, I am kind of worried that you go back and look at some of these most recent games where it has been number one offense, number one defense, and it always seems the defense ends up uh, – Winning the game, so I was interested, especially because, again, you being the Broncos fan, and kind of seeing both sides of it as well, seeing, obviously, the bad side first and then the good side the year after, uh, how that worked out for you. I'm trying to... We kind of saw that play out last year, too, because the Rams had that vaunted offense. Yeah, that's true. With the the defensive mastermind, Bill Belichick, and all of a sudden, no one would have bet the Rams scoring three points. Yeah, I think so. the the only the one thing I would say on that is I think a lot of that is is more probably Sean McVay than really that offense with how how smart he was with play calling because I 
I'm not saying that you are, but obviously oh, nobody's no. going to compare Jared Goff and, and Patrick Mahomes. That's a, that's a those, those two are definitely no. far across from each other. But yeah, that that is true as well. I kind of forgot about last year's probably because it was so low scoring, and you kind of forget seeing that as you just said three points that the Rams' offense was as good as they are. So, man, I'm 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 been torn. I guess it's time to make a pick here, and I, I've been torn. I've been going back and forth on this. Uh, before I ask you who you're picking to win and the score, if it's different than who you're picking, who would you like to see win? Like if you if you had to go with your heart instead of your head, who would your heart want you to see win this game? Well, I you know it would be the same for me, San okay. Francisco. No Broncos fan in good conscience can <laughs> be rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. But beyond that, you know Emmanuel Sanders played for us uh, and went over Kyle. Um, you know, growing up, saw plenty of Kyle. His dad was, it probably still is my favorite football coach of all time, right. Mike Shanahan. You know, that was the formative years for me with Denver. I would love to see him. John Lynch. I have a John Lynch Broncos jersey. Um, you know, always been a guy that I really liked. So beyond just the, I, I don't want to live in a world where Kansas City won the Super Bowl. <laughs> There are actual legitimate reasons why I'm drawn to San Francisco. See, so I'm I'm really torn on this because I, I would love to see either side win it. Uh, you know, obviously Kyle Shanahan, I think he's you know it, it was just one year in Cleveland, and I loved what he did with that offense. That was back with Johnny Manziel, and he actually made Johnny Manziel look decent. So I mean, that's telling you something right there. Uh, I, I I like Kyle Shanahan. I, I hate the moniker that he gets after what happened with Atlanta. I'd love to see him bounce back. Uh, I, I like a lot of those San Francisco 49ers. I'm not a huge fan of Richard Sherman, but I mean, outside of him, I like a lot of the, the San Francisco 49ers. I, I'd love to see Andy Reid get it, though. I mean, I feel like he is, he's one of the best coaches uh, that have been in in the NFL game. I don't want to say he's hes like, I would, he might be top 10. I, he's not up there with Bill and, and uh, Landry. Shula, those guys, but I, I do think he's probably in the top ten of best coaches of all time, and, and I would love to see him get a a Super Bowl because I do think that's kind of the one thing that that is held against him. And I'm with you in a way, though. I kind of don't want to see Kansas City win it, but I do think if they lose it again, that's just going to make those guys even hungrier. So it's it's very it's it's hard for me. I've been waffling back and forth, so I'm gonna let you go first. Who are you picking to win, and what is the final score, in your opinion, going to be? I picked uh, San Francisco 31-28. Okay. All right, so my official one, and I'm going to stick with it, uh, I'm going to go Kansas City, and I have it 35-34. I think surprisingly, the the ironic way I put it is uh, I think the Kansas City defense is actually going to come up with a big play at the end of the game to seal the victory for them, cost them a chance to get into the playoffs last year, into the Super Bowl last year, and by many accounts is probably the weakest unit altogether on this field. And I think they're going to be the ones that come up with the big play. And uh, and unfortunately for me, I know you don't want to see it as well. I, I kind of don't want to see it, but uh, we'll uh, get the Kansas City Chiefs uh, a Super Bowl. Uh, Patrick Mahomes in his second year, one of the very few quarterbacks to actually ever do that, I think is going to be ho- hoisting uh, the Lombardi. If San Francisco wins, who is who do you think is going to be the Super Bowl MVP? Because I still think that's a little bit more interesting because I don't think it's as solid as I think if Kansas City wins, everybody's going to say it's probably 
probably Patrick Mahomes, right? You would think Kansas City wins the Super Bowl. He's probably the Super Bowl MVP. If San Francisco wins, who do you think gets the MVP award? You know, I think that's really an impossible thing to predict because we're talking about a team that has six or seven different um, weapons. You know, I think it would be more like, you know, the couple of times we've seen the seen teams win the Super Bowl and nobody, even like, like last year with New England, there was not, you know, one guy that was head and tails above the best, uh, above the rest, but Edelman had, you know, probably the biggest game. You have two or three different receivers that could do it. You have two or three different running backs that could do it. Jimmy G could do it. It could be a defensive player, you know, um, San Francisco, I, that is not a team I would bet on an MVP option <laughs> in Las Vegas because I don't even know how you get odds good enough to make that enticing. Yeah, I'm just going to, just for fun, I'm going to say Nick Bosa. Uh, Nick Bosa gets a strip sack, fumble, touchdown, and that's what ends up getting him the MVP if San Francisco ends up winning it. Uh, so My feeling is probably, for me, I guess if I had to pick one, it would be Kittle. Okay, very interesting. I like that. All right, so before we get out of here, uh, two big news items have kind of been dropped here as we've been recording. Uh, the first one's easier, so we'll jump and do that really quick. Greg Olson and the Panthers are parting ways and not really surprising there. I think a lot of people kind of expected that. He had only signed that two-year deal, so fantasy-wise, you probably can't get him now, but if you have Ian Thomas, things are looking up for you. Uh, great career for Greg Olson. I think he's probably going to make it into the Hall of Fame. Uh, kind of the same thing for Christian McCaffrey. Kind of sucks that he's he has to go out this way, especially with the injuries he's had the past couple seasons. Uh, anything you want to add on Greg Olson? I hope he uh, is our new Monday Night Football guy. Yeah, I actually agree with you on that. I hope so, too. He is a... Uh, very good. He's, he's, I think the past four or five years has on his bye weeks done a lot of, uh, stuff on sidelines yeah. and in boosts and everything. I'd love to see that because, uh, we all really kind of, he was Booker, very so. close to, uh, going to the broadcast booth yeah. before this last season. I think he kind of got talked into one more ride, um, which he, I would wager regretted once they lost Newton after week oh, two. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. I'd love to see him there as well. And then last but not least, it's not really a news item. Uh, but Tom Brady, uh, did you see it? Yeah, the picture of him in the like walking can't tell if it's walking off the field or onto the field. Yeah, any thoughts so, on it? Is that what you're talking? About? Yeah, I mean, why? I, I really think he's just trolling all of us at this point. Yeah, you know, so it wasn't a. An incredible season, and you know, I think as they get a little bit further away, I kind of wonder. Seeing you know, seeing Eli uh, walking away, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that he played with, obviously had some uh, had kind of a fun tweet for him. Uh, you know, he was one of the first to throw up something about Kobe Bryant. You just got to wonder, you know, waiting to see if Josh McDaniels was going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. There is an opening, obviously, for him to be potentially for the Chargers. Uh, people have talked about the Raiders. You just have to wonder if he's not starting to think about what do I really need to prove and, and is this really what I, what I want to do? I mean, he could be trolling. 
um, you could read anything into that picture. Um, I think it's too early to say, but I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk that Drew Brees is heavily leaning toward retiring. Yeah. It could be a real turnover changing of the guard here in the NFL, you know, seeing some people, I wouldn't rule out the I think there's, he's probably looking at it a little bit differently now than he was uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I agree with you. So you can't really tell, but I was looking on his Instagram, and a lot of Patriots players, with the way that they're commenting, does seem like uh, it, it's more of like he's leaving. And I would not be surprised either with everything you were just talking about. Which is going to make things very interesting as well because we've been talking about this for a couple weeks now, how like loaded this free agency market could be for quarterbacks. And now you've got Breeze might be leaving. And that, I mean, I still don't believe in the Taysom Hill thing, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Phillip Rivers might be done. I think Breeze is either going to retire or go back to the Saints. I really don't see him going to another team. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I don't think he's going to another team, but I I think I'm with you. I think there's a better chance that he retires. I, 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 with the, I don't want to read too much into the Pro Bowl thing, but with with Russell Wilson kind of giving up his spot to allow Breeze, and you've seen, if you really go back and look at Breeze the past couple years, he's been very adamant about, I'm going to come back and play. It was never, well, I'm going to take my time and kind of weigh my, it was always, no, I'm going to be back next year. This is the first time I've really kind of seen him be like, "Uh, you know, I'm going to give it a month, see where, I think, you know, a lot of times you see these NFL players when they talk about it, when you're thinking about retirement, you're already done. And so I think maybe that's where Breeze is at. And so if he might be gone, you got Brady. We saw Eli's already tired. Like, it could be huge. So I've kind of, like, zoomed in on the picture, and it does look like he's walking back toward the field. Uh, but, again, you've got all kinds of players in, in his comments, and the way that they're talking about it, it does seem like he he might be done. So that'll be interesting. I'd imagine yeah. we're not going to hear anything. So I think it's more of, like, a him kind of – messing with us kind of thing. I mean, he does seem – he is definitely this year seeming to be more willing to kind of speak out a little bit more and more social media present. Uh, so interested to see where that goes. Uh, obviously, some big news breaks. We'll talk about it. I don't imagine he's going to announce retiring or anything during this weekend. I would imagine it's going to come after the Super Bowl. Uh, so anyways, regardless, uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the Super Bowl. We're both hoping, obviously, for a great game, and I look forward to talking to you on Monday to recap what we're both hoping will be a very good Super Bowl. Yeah, and if nothing else, let's hope halftime gives us something to talk about. <laughs> I doubt it. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly!